Welcome to the Tej Talks Podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tej Talks podcast. If you're not following me on YouTube, what are you doing? I post a lot of visual stuff there. Obviously, it's a video platform, but property is visual. So lots of tours, lots of walkthroughs, refurbishments, and new builds. I've seen quite a few new builds, which are awesome. On today's podcast, we take HMO management to another level. We kind of talk more about building a community within your HMO. We talk about tenant experience or TX, which I actually touched on in my book uh, briefly and how managing maintenance requests, communication, building that community, but also good design and evolving your HMOs is effectively going to mean you have less voids, tenants staying for longer, tenants looking after the property better and actually getting above market rent. And all of these things are only positive for you. And it's not expensive necessarily to do these things but it can make a big difference so yeah hmos and how to take them to the next level and how to really work on your tenant experience if you didn't know this is the most reviewed property podcast in the uk so please go to itunes go to the facebook page and leave a review yes you can leave a review yeah itunes or the facebook page thanks matt dan and leah welcome to the ted talks podcast thank you for having us great to be here this is the first time I think I've had three guests on. So this is going to be interesting because you are three of seven co-founders um, of CoHome, which is actually quite interesting, isn't it? Because HMOs have lots of tenants, you know, so you you basically got a seven bed HMO company. That's how I'm thinking of it. <laughs> so um, speaking of HMOs, before we, uh, well, I'd love you all to introduce yourselves, but just so people who are listening know, we are going to talk about HMOs, you know, the evolution of HMOs, what customer experience means, which might be a new phrase to a lot of property investors, and how actually you can manage HMOs to make your life easier as a, as a landlord, landlady, and also how you then implement this in co-home. So could you all give us a brief introduction perhaps to yourselves, but then also maybe an introduction to co-home in the sense that how did all seven of you come together? Okay, well, um, I'll kick off. Um, my name is Matt Baker, and I'm one of those seven co-founders of CoHome. I'm also a co-founder of uh, Scott Baker Properties and the HMO platform, which was my life prior to CoHome. It is kind of the evolution of my kind of property adventure to to, to date. So, um, uh, yeah, I started off life in property as a uh, developer, um, starting off with small buy-to-lets, uh, very quickly got into uh, HMOs and uh, shared housing, and now into you know, what we would call co-living. And I think we'll get on to what co-living can be maybe a bit later on uh, and what it is. Yeah, from a personal perspective, as a landlord, I had always struggled with finding really great managing agents on the ground, people who could uh, instill the values that we wanted uh, into our portfolio. So there was always this want to have a unified approach, whether um, we had a tenant in um, in the Midlands or in the Northeast or on the South Coast. Um, so they all had the same user experience by living in, in one of our properties. And uh, we had massively varying degrees of success um, with agents. You know, we, got, we got maybe a couple of really great agents 
but uh, I have to say the majority of them have been kind of not up to what we would want. And it's a point of frustration for us. So co-home is essentially a kind of a bit of an antidote to this problem, a solution to this problem that we found as landlords. And I suppose the, uh, what co-home is will come out in a moment. Uh, Dan tells that story quite well about how we came together. So I might hand over to Dan. Thanks, Matt. So before I tell that story, I'll just briefly introduce myself. I'm Dan Jackson. Um, I've actually been on a TED Talks a couple of years ago before as the founder of Urban Shared, who are and still is a co-living operator in southwest London. And when I started the business, I, I didn't really know much about co-living. I don't think the term had really been used uh, at all, really, in, in the UK. But I knew I wanted to actually to create an experience for my customers that was more than just essentially a you know a, a faceless locked room in a house of strangers so, so we built some technology that my idea behind that was to create something that was focused on the customer that they could use to enhance their experience and whilst we've been operating the idea around co-living has obviously become a little bit more of a mainstream term often used by vanilla HMO operators who, who just think it's a marketing term. Um, and for us, co-home, you know, it couldn't be further from the truth. You know, this is a this is a, a different way of delivering a housing solution to people in the demographic that that we deal with. Obviously, Leah will explain a little bit more about the customer experience because I think it's important that actually we have a co-founder whose background is customer experience. I don't think that there'll be many property businesses that deem it that important just before i hand over then that the, the our story as a as a company started in lockdown when a group of us kind of were contacted by one of the other co-founders who was interested in exploring the idea of co-living further so we came together during lockdown as a group of people that all shared common values around the customer experience and co-living we come from technology backgrounds we come from property development property investment property management and as i said customer experience so we are totally focused on delivering a very different property management solution which is essentially co-living operation that's focused on customer experience i'll ex- i'll let leah explain a little bit more about herself yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm Leah Zoliak, and I am a guest experience consultant for co-living spaces and co-founder of CoHome. I, uh, I come at it from a different background. My background is in entertainment and hospitality. I worked in the music business for many years um, with touring musicians and planning events and that sort of thing. And then I worked on board cruise ships for several years in hospitality and entertainment as well. So yeah, I kind of discovered the world of co-living as a digital nomad in some of the spaces in Europe. And I just really fell in love with the communities that I found there. And it was just such a great experience that I kind of decided to transition and figure out how to implement hospitality uh, best practices into co-living spaces. So that's kind of how I, I met all of these guys through the co-living world. And um, yeah, it's been great so far. Interesting. A real nice kind of mix of backgrounds, but definitely with that shared vision. So HMOs. Now, I don't know, people used to call them bedsits. They used to, and I think there's plenty now which are uh, designed interestingly and kind of are a bit shit, to put it technically. So in your opinions, you know, how has the HMO evolved? And it could be a recent evolution or, or kind of maybe a longer term. And why is quality important? Because if I come from a buy-to-let perspective, 
100%. Design, quality, all important. But, you know, buy-to-lets will kind of rent out all the time anywhere, wherever they are, as long as they're kind of half decent. So why is quality that much extra important in HMOs? Who wants to take that one? I'll go with this one. Yeah, go down. Um, And Matt maybe can um, add his view after mine. I mean, I think that property, um, the shared house concept hasn't changed in 25 years. We have a landlord-tenant relationship, which just those two terms really kind of define the relationship that they would have with each other. Property management is something that hasn't really evolved in any way, shape or form in the last 25 years. And yet, I guess the expectations of somebody living in a, in a shared house has improved and changed. And, and I think you could look at a number of reasons for that. One is the, the focus that the university accommodation has had in terms, of, in terms of standards and quality. So the first change that we saw in the, in the shared home market was much better interior design. So you know that the guys in that market who are really leading the way in terms of cutting edge interior design. I mean, Matt at Scott Baker Properties, if you take a look at some of those properties, and touch some of yours as well on the, on the single let front, they have been really sympathetically and well designed. And that's great. But I think that the, our demographic, we, have, we focus on the young professionals, that will change as we evolve, because we recognise that shared living actually can work all the way up to possibly late 50s. There's an increasing demand for good customer service. And that really starts with managing maintenance properly. Um, property managers still typically aren't particularly proactive when it comes to managing maintenance. And with the evolution of technology and the, the increased demand that the customer has, it's actually possible to deliver a co-living experience if there's some intent to do it. It needs to be a deliberate decision. It's not necessarily as intense in terms of requirements and time to do it as people might think. It just requires a mindset, but very few people are actually doing it. I think still because the average shared home that's been designed well, as you say, will probably rent quite quickly. Um, but we think that we can get higher rents if we if we find people that actually understand and want co-living. They are they're getting a better product with us, which means they'll pay a little bit more and stay longer. So if you want to kind of take your HMO to the next level, we think it's important that you implement some some of these co-living uh, features for that very reason. Mm. Yeah, really good points there. Matt, do you have anything to add there? I think just to reiterate the point that the the way that HMOs used to be done, which um, I would call the beige box, but then the landlords that Dan mentioned, and those beige boxes um, where landlords used to just put people in uh, a room and uh, and just kind of not think about them from that point onwards, um, I don't think it works anymore. Um, And there's a general rule that uh, I have, um, whereby we look to be in the top 5% of design, top 5% of, of creating great space, and then top 5% of delivering great service. And if we can do that, then as a landlord, we're going to be happier because you're going to get tenants who, who maybe pay a premium, who stay longer, who form meaningful relationships in properties. And um, when they do that, then obviously the profitability increases as well. So when we talk about getting more involved in the property management um, and especially when it comes to the community side um, it doesn't have to be more expensive and it can it just comes down to you know really robust systems and you know passionate people that are passionate about this part of the industry 
And you both made some good points there, especially about yeah, increased rent and increased duration of them staying, which at the end of the day is an increase in the bottom line. And as much as people can say, oh, well, if I spend, you know, four grand less and it is a beige box, then I'll save four grand. But the chances are yours are going to last longer, be nicer for longer, and you're going to make way more than they have saved because of the design. Um, and I think that goes across single lets, rent to rent, SA, it kind of goes across everything. But I suppose with HMOs where voids and turnover is, is higher than buy to lets, it's even more important. Now, when it comes to, if we kind of maybe start on the journey of, of kind of property management, what is the most important part of letting a HMO? Oh, I think that depends who you speak to. If the landlord will probably give one answer, the agent will probably give another and the tenant will probably give another answer. So you have to think about who who is the most important person in that relationship. And I think ultimately the most important person is the customer and the customer that has the biggest impact on the bottom line is is the the tenant and we don't really like calling them tenants we like to call them housemates because dan mentioned this historic landlord tenant landlord relationship and those terms i think are quite outdated um we like to think of us more of as as a service provider and you know and a customer so our housemates live in our properties our customers and the most important thing that we need to do is make sure that we're providing an amazing service for them because if we're providing an amazing service for our customers in the houses and they're happy then there's a knock-on effect of our landlords on the investors that own the properties of them being happy because they're having fewer hassles less maintenance issues uh, rents being paid on time um, and it just reduces that that stress level that you see um, especially when landlords are, are struggling to work with agents or managing properties themselves mm. So I suppose with the HMO, you know, generally speaking, it's a lot of work. You've got a generally significant kind of refurb to do. A lot of investors or landlords kind of get caught up in that stage, uh, we kind of said, and they can maybe forget about, well, hold on a minute, who is actually paying the mortgage off? You know, who, who is kind of, who is the main person in this business? And I think agents kind of forget it too, in the sense, it's like, oh, we got 10 applications. Okay, that's 10. Let's get it down to five. Let's, a lot of people forget about the human element of letting. So Leah, I suppose from your perspective with kind of like the, the customer experience or tenant experience, what kind of things could people be doing, whether they're actual or more of the principle in that letting process to kind of give people a good customer experience? Well, I mean, for, for us, it starts at the very beginning. So looking at the, the entire customer journey from start to finish. So in the, just the way that you approach your messaging, for one, it's kind of the first, you know, point of contact there. The way you speak, the way you communicate, it's all about consistency, which is, is big in the hospitality world, but just making sure that it's friendly and consistent and all those good things from the beginning. Um, being clear with your messaging, being clear with your content, all the photos, all those sort of things. And then, sticking with them through the entire journey from, from the time they first arrive, making sure that they're all settled in and that you're checking in, that things are going well there, um, that you can kind of create a social atmosphere in, in, in that way and connect them with the people that they live with and the surrounding community. You know, it's all about getting them comfortable as quickly as you can and showing that, you know, you've made an effort that you're welcoming them to your space and that you're excited to have them. 
Um, and then sticking with them through the whole way, you know, like we mentioned with the, you know, maintenance issues, reporting those, making it a simple process and, and creating opportunities for them from the time they get there to the time they leave and, and beyond, because you want people to, to talk about, you know, what a great experience they have and that they can tell other people to come join. So it's a process from start to finish. They're just things you can do at every stage. So. And, you know, may, maybe a common thing that, that HMO developers, investors may say is, well, I've designed a beautiful space. I've put in nice fixtures and fittings and, you know, I've really made an effort to, you know, spent time, spent money to make it look sexy. Surely it's just going to attract the best tenants naturally because it's really sexy. Is that applicable or do you think like that sort of customer service and the way you find tenants also needs work and you can't just rely on the design or can you just rely on the design? Oh, um, yes. Good question. No, no. Relying on the design, just it doesn't work in the long run because, I mean, your living experience is an experience, you know? And so if you fail to get the customer experience part of it right and you just leave them leave them hanging with a, a beautiful space, but, um, you know, troubles all along the way, it doesn't work out like you would think. So just having a beautiful space is not does not negate having to do other things as far as keeping your, your customers happy through the whole way. So, no. And do you find that like, you know, tenants, whether they're accepted or whether they're not accepted into the properties, like, do you find that they, I don't know, kind of give you feedback or kind of say to you, Hey, this is a different experience than most, you know, um, landlords or agents. Do they notice what you do for them at that early stage? Absolutely. I mean, people can tell a difference in, in the way they're treated and, and what they can expect. And and that's another thing, asking for feedback. You know, that's something that we're big on is creating feedback loops because you don't, if you don't ask how things are going throughout the whole process, then, then you never know. So it's important to, to keep them in the loop and, and stay, stay on top of things whenever, you know, when things are going wrong or when the things are going right. But they don't always tell you if you don't ask. So that's, that's another thing we're big on, but yeah, it's, it's absolutely, it's, you know, it's night and day. Like if you would go to, to a store or a restaurant and you get a really great customer experience, you, you remember that even if, you know, the food maybe at one place was awesome. If you're having a, a poor customer experience, you're not going to go back. So I think, I think it's noticeable, especially in, in living situations. And it's surprising that it's taken this long for it, for people to, to realize how important that part of the housing experience is. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think it's, it's rewarding and it's validating when the customer notices and they, and so you ask or they give feedback because it tells you that you're doing the right thing and that it is paying off. Cause obviously it's, it's more work to do what you're doing, but as you said, it pays off. So property management, right? So actually, no, let's go back to tenants. Actually, when you're finding tenants, do you find that one, because of the, the design and or the service, once they sort of see the design, do you find that tenants are kind of like you're oversubscribed? Do you find that you're more having to say no to people than, you know, struggling to find people? Um, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it just creates a whole, it's a whole different level of what you're dealing with. I mean, you can have both a great design and a great space where people want to live there and also create this extra layer of, of experience it brings people to you. And that, and that's the whole point of what we're, we're creating here. If we can create a brand that people realize that this is something that is different and they can rely on it being consistent across all the spaces, then then you've created something that people are attracted to and they'll come to you rather than you having to seek them out as far as marketing goes, which saves you a lot of time and a lot of money in the long run. So 
Yeah, I think it's like, I suppose, any element of business or marketing, when your customers come to you, it's it's fantastic. It just makes every element so much easier. So when it comes to then managing, so we've got the tenant, we kind of got them on board. And I suppose maybe there's a, a broader question here of how do you all implement technology, whether that's kind of early on from the advertising analytics, which I know you mentioned earlier, all the way to actually managing it. How is tech implemented? Well, we're very fortunate that two of our co-founders are also co-founders of a tech platform called Coho, uh, which is an HMO management, a very specific HMO management software, which is it's relatively new to the market, but because we because we've got that that in with them uh, we can have tech solutions um you know designed to suit us which uh, means that we can deliver better and more seamless service for the people that we deal with so um we can integrate our technology with um with other apps that provide different bits of service through APIs and also we can have custom solutions built into Coho, which allow us to, you know, um, to give us that edge um, when providing that service for both the tenant and the landlord. Um, so that the most important part of the tech is about communication and it's about having kind of effortless communication between all parties involved. Um, because when you get that bit right, then people are in the know, people uh, can have a moment things are going wrong they can be heard and um, then we can resolve those issues quickly uh, make sure we're setting realistic expectations through that communication that's essentially how we are using tech by and we actually have this discussion so when we have a, sol- a problem we always um, as a group say how can technology solve this problem for us because we're talking about putting great systems in place because um, you know, we, we are in a nationwide managing agent, which means that um, we have this issue of you know, having uh, a repeatable service in different locations. So how can we use technology in first and foremost to solve problems? And then how can we get those passionate people that can implement those systems on the ground? And, you know, do you find, and this is probably quite an obvious question, but do you find that most investors and or most agents are not utilizing tech in the way you are um, and or even just generally in a way that is going to be quite helpful and maybe still do things a little bit old school? I think I'm going to pass over to Dan for this one because um, Dan's been using tech in his business for quite a while. Good question. Um, and I think actually there's, there's two things that we mentioned. One was the tech. The other thing that we mentioned was the right people and finding people that subscribe and buy into this idea of co-living and not just the phrase, but actually what does it mean? What does it mean to them? Um, how is it implemented? How has it been implemented in, in different kind of use cases? That's as equally important as the technology. I mean, just in terms of w- one metric which always surprises me is that 75% of people leave tenanted uh, properties because of poor maintenance. But when you dig into that, it's not poor maintenance, it's poor communication. So we could give a great communication tool to anybody, but if it's not used in the right way, and if the tenant isn't given, you know, the opportunity to find out where we are in a, in a maintenance process, how long things will take, then it's not really much use having technology. As Matt said, and I think when we spoke a couple of years ago, Tej, we talked about the platform that Urban Shared built to manage our our, our housemates and customers, and we have a, a communication platform in there. It's essentially it's essentially similar to WhatsApp, but we have groups for houses we can contact tenants individually we can contact them 
when it comes to maintenance problems. And the most important part of that whole communication is actually doing it, being proactive, giving bad news, because actually, you know, someone would rather find out that it's going to take longer than not find out at all. So managing the communication with customers, not just when there are things that go wrong, but throughout the whole kind of customer experience and, the, and the, I guess the life cycle of that customer, because you can build rapport with someone. Um, and so you've almost already bought some brownie points before there's an issue that you, that you then need to share with them. So I think it's about good tech. More importantly, that having people that really buy into this idea that, that co-living is, is really where the shared housing market is at right now. And that's because customer experience in general is something that's been missing forever in in property, but now is becoming something that lots of lots of businesses, lots of markets and lots of sectors will acknowledge that actually it's the differentiator. And that's what we think that we're doing with Cohome. Yeah, I like that. And I think there's there's many industries and there's many sectors within property itself, which you know, I think Leah said you said earlier, it's surprising it's taken this long for, and people still haven't adopted them. You know, people are still doing things uh, the kind of old school way and tech just makes life easier. You know, it's generally designed to have a nice interface, to be easy to use, to be easy to le- um, learn. So yeah, there definitely needs to be more of a, more of an impetus to actually get this stuff going and to have some momentum behind it. So when it comes to, you know, managing HMOs now, you know, I think a lot of HMO investors don't self-manage and, you know, perhaps that's for good reason. Obviously, there's quite a few of you in Cohome. There's quite a mixed background here and you're kind of ahead of the curve, I suppose, with the use of technology and your attitude towards it. If I'm a, you know, one man band and I've got some HMOs and, you know, I don't know, they're like an hour from home. Do you think, someone in that situation should self-manage? I mean, we would all uh, on this panel agree that self-managing is a decision that you need to make proactively when you start to become a property investor. That 10, 12, 15% that you will invariably pay a third-party management company needs to be baked into your, your overall costings. So my advice would always be to find a professional to do any job. I think that um, if you're looking to find a third party to manage a shared home, if you look at any of the basic standard lettings agents, they aren't focused on managing single lets. Um, They're the wrong agent to use to manage a shared home. It's a very, very different um, product managing a shared home than managing a single let. And when you layer on top, the customer experience and the customer service side of things, it's a different product again. There's absolutely nothing wrong with making a definite decision to manage your first HMO to see whether it's something that, first of all, you can do. And secondly, it's something that you enjoy or that you want to, that you want to grow. But if you're a property investor and you want to outsource the management, then you need to make that a decision that you bake into your numbers. And if you want to manage as a co-living, then you need to come and talk to Cohome because I don't think there's anybody else nationwide that's actually doing what we're doing. Yeah, I like that. I'd also add to that in that the yeah, if you're going to manage it yourself and you want to 
you know, create that experience, which for the reason we mentioned, uh, we, we believe is the way the market's going and we believe it's a better solution. Uh, you're going to have to put a team together of people to deliver that service. It's highly unlikely that you'd be able to do it by yourself because most investors um, it's long-term want to be hands-off. Uh, they invest in property for a return, for, for the yields and for cash flow. So um, if you're, unless you want to set up a business and, and manage that team of people, which you know, some people will and, and some people will do a good job of it, but I think majority of people probably will need kind of their hand holding and actually just that whole piece of the puzzle taken off their hands so they can reap the rewards of it without having to you know, kind of get their hands dirty. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that's the kind of reality of it is that it's going to be difficult to do yourself. And if, you know, if you have a few HMOs and maybe, and and that's all that, you know, someone wants, maybe it's not worth it. Maybe it's, it's worth collaborating or even working with an agent who, again, hard to find, maybe impossible, who can kind of, you know, do a bit better than most or to find someone to maybe joint venture with. But it is a serious consideration, I would say. Whereas I think, you know, on my end, compare it to buy to lets, I don't think it's a serious decision at all. I think it, it's different. And yeah, it's a lot easier for me to kind of say, oh, I'm going to self-manage it 200 miles away, whatever. Whereas if I had a HMO that far, you know, it would need, like Dan said, and like Matt said, it would need a lot more thought to it. So speaking of property management, what are some of the common mistakes that you think investors or even most agents make when dealing with tenants and their requests or, or maintenance issues? I think some of the, 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 the biggest mistakes, again, come down to communication. So potentially um, over-promising and under-delivering. So saying, yeah, we can sort that really quickly. And, and then forgetting that it's going to take them maybe a week to get a plumber around to go and sort it. And, and so, again, it comes back to communication, like Dan was saying. Uh, Dan, do you have a uh, you know, a biggest folly? Um, repeat the question, Ted. I was still logging in. So, you know, what are common mistakes that landlords or agents make when managing properties and, and dealing with tenants and their requests and maintenance and whatnot? Okay, great question. I, I think it's inconsistency around communication. I think having a, a deliberate and published service level expectation um, is important. So we set expectations around how and when we fix things, um, priority within 24 hours, kind of normal and then low. And we set expectations and we deliver against those expectations. I think without having some clarity around maintenance, you, you will invariably come to a scenario where there's a disagreement about when things and how long things should take to fix. The communication piece to managing a shared home is so important and you can do that without any great technology you just need to make sure that it's something that you do with intent um i think as i said 75 percent of people leave shared homes and buy to lets because of poor property management so solve that one problem and you know your churn decreases your average tenant stay lengths and tenant leg stay and essentially your yields go up just to add to that it comes down to the perception of the managing agent of the tenant so i think there's a quite often a perception in the industry that tenants are assets up until the moment they move in 
and then they quite often become then they become liabilities in the mind of the agent because they only hear from them when there's an issue um, or they have to contact them because the rent hasn't been paid on time so um, that communication becomes a, a negative thing from the agent's perspective so wouldn't it be great if communication between managing agent and tenant was always generally a positive thing and i think that again comes down to the way that you communicate which is very much what leah does um for co-homes yeah if you see the communications that that she writes and and the way that things she she puts things when we're talking to our customers um i think it's head and shoulders above what i've seen out there before Mm. And communication is, is obviously a central uh, thing to how you operate. Now, tenants are very protected by the government, etc. Even when they do endless things wrong. I won't go into any more detail now I'll start ranting. But how do you balance, you know, this communication, the kind of being flexible, communicating, being nice, you know, treating them as customers. How do you kind of balance that with when they do dumb stuff or when something goes wrong or, you know, firm, but fair, what's your kind of approach? And, you know, how do you manage that kind of voice when you're dealing with issues? I mean, Ted, it is actually firm, but fair. And that's a good way of putting it. I mean, things go wrong. Um, We understand that things go wrong. Uh, We understand that there are things that are accidental and things that aren't. And, you know, this last year has been incredibly tough for young people in London, specifically in shared homes without the ability to go out, uh, without the ability to go and kind of, you know, enjoy a party in a pub. And we've had numerous incidents where we've had to be very firm and very fair about what people can and can't do. I mean, you know, this is a business at the end of the day. um, And we understand that tenants you know protected by the the landlord and tenant act and all those sorts of things but we also understand that we have a duty of care to all our tenants and the housemates and and neighbors and you know all sorts of different actually people in this whole ecosystem of of shared homes uh, we have a responsibility to them too we have a responsibility to the landlord um to the council as the hmo license owner or holder so firm but fair and we will very quickly clamp down on behavior that isn't what we would expect in in one of our shared homes and you know on that kind of topic of uh, bad behavior let's call it have you had problem tenants whether it's behavior attitude rent arrears things like that in generally across all of your hmos um we've we've had a little bit of that i mean you know rent arrears now is very different to rent arrears a year ago um Renter is now can actually be as a result of, you know, losing a, a decent job that would have meant they flew through our referencing and now they're in between jobs. Um, so managing renter is now is night and day from how we would have done it in February 2020. And we find that with the majority of our housemates, because there is free communication both ways, we don't find that we have to deal with the head in sand tenant who just kind of hopes that things go away. So we'll have proactive conversations around helping them to apply for universal credit um, through to agreeing a payment plan that will move them back um, in line over a period of time that works for both them and us. In terms of some of the other issues that we have, firm but fair is the way in which we deal with these things. We, we can't and won't tolerate 
antisocial behaviour, um, whether it's a shared house, whether it's an HMO, whether it's a co-living, whether it's a single let. You know, I think that's a given when you're managing properties and we will ensure as best we can within the rules of the, you know, the Landlord and Tenant Act and their AST that we will act accordingly and appropriately. And, you know, managing tenants, I suppose the bulk of it is maintenance in, in HMOs. Now, from your experiences, would you say that, because if we compare HMOs to Bytelets, there's way more wear and tear in HMOs. There's way more, you know, stuff happening and the maintenance tends to be higher. Would you say that given your design elements and your customer service combined, that you perhaps see less maintenance compared to your older properties or, you, you know, where you may not have done this or other people in your network's properties because people care more or do you think it's kind of the same thing that actually you know hmos full maintenance full stop i think you're right hmos are more maintenance there is there's more more traffic going through them you know the the ovens being used maybe five six times more than it would have been otherwise but the things that we do is to encourage people for example on the cooking front people to cook together um, i think we'll probably move on to you know building community in a minute but when it comes to the the maintenance what we like to do is to plan in advance so whenever we take on a new property we give it a health check and we go through with a fine tooth comb and then we create a schedule of works uh, which would which would identify all the things that are broken all the things that are likely to to, to need replacing soon and all the things like servicing the boiler etc and actually we would put that in place in advance and cost it all out because if you plan things in advance you've got more uh, leeway with negotiating rates with contractors if you give some a contractor a year-long agreement and you say oh i'm going to pay you x amount per month um, to do all of these jobs actually you've got a lot more negotiating power so we will we, we much prefer to replace a, a tap before it breaks much prefer to um, sort out the shower before it leaks and um, yeah, and it, it just takes uh, someone who's doesn't have to take a very skilled eye but someone who, who knows what they're looking at to just go yeah okay this is going to be an issue in the next month or this is going to be an issue in the next six months and then we just book in to to sort it which means that yes we know there's going to be more wear and tear but we account for it and what that does is enable our landlords we ourselves as the, as one of the other our landlords um, to plan financially um, what is going to happen in the future and means that our income is less bumpy. Uh, it means that there's no well a lot fewer unexpected costs. So uh, yeah, you don't suddenly have to fix a shower and the leak that it caused and the um, you know the flooring which is now warped. So it's you're, you're saving money on that front. So that's the approach that we would take. And it doesn't actually take that much time. It's just a bit of being organised and using great systems and technology to to manage that process. Mm, I like that. And you mentioned building a community. Now, this is something that might seem unusual to property investors because we do property stuff. Like, and you know, building a community is like for Facebook groups and stuff. So, how does that phrase and that you know actual putting it into practice? How does that apply to HMOs? Yeah, so I mean, co-living in general is is all about community. It's about you know having authentic relationships with with the people that you live with. And you know, I've stayed in spaces that you know are more shorter term, and so I've, I've sort of taken some of the same practices that we do in there and and put them into the longer term spaces because people who live with other people they not only want to get along with them, but they want to have you know genuine community, genuine friendships, and it just makes life 
enjoyable all around. So I think a big part of it is not only the customer experience, but making sure that you have compatible housemates and people that want to hang out together who genuinely like having, you know, social opportunities and ability to connect with not only the people in their house, but the the community as a whole. So I think that element is really the biggest part of co-living and the co-living movement is creating housing as an experience and creating more opportunities for people to connect. Mm, I like that. That's something that, again, it's not too often thought about. And, you know, it does add another layer of complexity or stuff to do with an HMO. With that sense of community, is there a... Is there a return on investment that you can see tangibly or, or physically from that sort of thing in particular? Absolutely. I mean, it goes through through the same same thing as we talked about earlier is in that people stay longer whenever they're happier. And part of being happy in your shared living space is being happy with the people that you live with. So the, you know, the more you can connect people to a space and the harder you can make it for them to leave, then then the longer they'll stay. And you'll see those results in in length of stay for sure. Hmm. That makes sense. And, you know, with, so co-home, talk us through what that is exactly and how then you implement customer service within that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so co-home, there's essentially three pillars to co-home, which we've, we've kind of touched upon here, uh, which is having a proactive approach to maintenance, which means that um, if we don't have to worry about maintenance and emergency call-outs, then we've got time to focus on other things um, and, and budget to focus on other things because um, we don't have to think about the what-ifs because we know what's going to go on. Um, this, the second pillar is, is that communication piece and using tech solutions to ensure that communication is at the heart of the business and the heart of um, the the experience for both uh, tenant and landlord. And then that final piece, which is um, that customer experience. So the time that we save and the money that we save and being in just making sure that the property is well looked after, it's just a given that if the property is just well looked after, then we can focus on those extra elements of the customer service and um, provide a, an amazing, unique customer experience where tenants uh, or housemates, they, they choose to stay longer. Um, they pay a premium for uh, for this as well, and because generally you know, the, the properties that we have, you know, they're getting you know well over twenty percent more than the average rents in in towns. And again, it just means that um, as a service for for landlords, uh, yeah, it can improve bottom lines just by implementing you know, the processes that we put in place. Yeah, I like that, and. You know, speaking, or we've obviously been speaking about HMOs currently and how they've changed from the past and how they've evolved from the past. I mean, where do you see, and this is a hugely broad question, I suppose, but where do you see HMOs in, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 years? Do you see any big changes coming or is it lots of kind of compounded changes of little things that evolve every year? Well, I think it's probably the latter, Tej. I mean, what I will say is I think in five years time the average standard residential developer stroke landlord will have to be implementing some form of customer experience solution um it's the way that not just the property market is heading but as i said earlier every industry is really now talking about customer experiences being a differentiator keep a customer happy lots and lots of things happen as a result of that 
if you don't do that, then you will be left behind. I mean, let's be fair, there will probably always be a market for the kind of beige box HMO. I think that market will shrink as people who are living in those solutions realize that there's something better in a well put together co-living space um, because by nature we are creatures that enjoy the company of other adults and human beings living alone um, is not is not natural we start in a family unit when we go through university we continue in a family unit and then at some point we may just live on our own until we get married so it definitely feels an un- it's kind of like an unnatural evolution to do that i think that you know as i said i absolutely think in five years time that we will be i think co-living will have evolved there'll be more people that are doing it um, whether it be the large stuff you know like the collective or smaller stuff like what co-home is doing i can certainly see a growth in the kind of 15 to 20 uh, unit spaces i think you'll see High streets where commercial to residential developments are certainly accelerating as high streets change. I can absolutely see um, co-living solutions being put on high streets. When you think about it, it actually delivers everything that a a well-run shared house needs. It will likely be close to all the amenities in that area. The transport links will be good. And it's likely that it will be close to areas of work. So I think we'll probably see more of a development in that space with people who are intentionally creating co-living spaces. So potentially the downstairs commercial space may be a work from home or it could be a coffee shop. It could be kind of an event space that could be used by the residents and also rented out to local businesses. Um, so I think we'll, we'll see, see some some evolution of the, of the actual space um, and more people, more developers um, putting effort into co-living and customer experience i like that anyone else want to share their thoughts yeah i, I would agree with dan and and in terms of the the high street that's something that you know we're already uh, doing as a developer um so it's gonna i think there's gonna be lots more opportunities um for that um but as the, the market changes you dan talked about the beige box market shrinking um and, and it's the easy way to you know, to change is, is just to change up the design the, the way that the property looks so that i think the quality of accommodation is going to increase across the board it has to because it, it can't get any worse um, on on the whole you know we see some amazing looking properties on on you know facebook groups and you know, on instagram social media um but yeah these are the minority of properties out there at uh, the majority there are hundreds of thousands of of shared homes and the majority of them are, are rubbish uh, the majority of them are beige boxes you know, they are old older school landlords or new new landlords that maybe haven't um, given some thought to the future proofing their portfolio and i think what we'll see is that the um the quality will improve over the long run but the, the main differentiator will be the service and brand recognition brand value so uh, you know, one of our goals is to be recognized as a you know, preferred um, provider of you know, shared accommodation and, and, and co-living um, in the tenant demographic so that housemates are aware of us and that we uh, you know, pe- people go oh do, does co-home have any rooms available and then they'll go look elsewhere if they don't have anything in the area that they're looking for or or um, you know, it doesn't suit them so um, you know, that's a goal of ours and I think there will be a number of uh, operators that you know, come into this space and I think the 
the level of service will be the differentiating factor. I like that. That's really interesting about people asking for that first and then looking somewhere else. That's a that's a brand in itself. I think because usually tenants, you know, go on right move, spare room, etc. There isn't a kind of brand piece to what they're looking for, but to have them, you know, on that level, that's something different, and that's something that can only be of benefit to you. So, you know, that makes sense. And uh, you know, just to to wrap it up, do you have any closing thoughts on HMOs, the future of them, the past of them, managing them that you want to leave the listeners with? Well, it would it'd be rude not to leave them with something, Matt. So I'll let you go first. <laughs> I think just um, coming back to something I said uh, before about if, because yeah, obviously listening to this is going to be developers and landlords of varying um, ex- levels of experience. I think for um, someone who's starting out in HMOs and co-living is is think about the longevity of your project. Uh, you know, don't compromise on certain elements because it makes sense today. Think about, is it going to make sense tomorrow? Because so, but one thing that we do as a developer is think about, um, you know, what can we do with this project? So what if the market changes? Can we uh, reassess it? Can we do something different with it? Thinking about what's going on in the market and staying current, uh, just being aware. I'm not talking about being on trend. I'm talking about making sure that you you have a service that your customer wants and is relevant. I like that. Is it my turn now to leave? So I think the message that I would like to convey would be that creating a co-living solution, whilst not particularly difficult, requires intent. So if, if you decide that you want to deliver a better customer experience, you have to do that intentionally. It doesn't just happen. You have to think about, as Leah said, like the touch points that we have through the customer journey. Our objective is to delight the customer every time they come into contact with us and to stop thinking, again, as Matt said, to stop thinking about a customer as a cost center after they've become a tenant. So these people are the lifeblood of, of, the, of a shared home business. Um, developing a customer experience and a community just requires some intent. It doesn't require anything that's massively cost, massively expensive. It just requires intent. I think if you think like that and you change your mindset a little bit, then you will, as we've all agreed, you'll be able to future-proof the developments that you're working on. I like it. Great words of wisdom. Uh, what I'm going to do for everyone is put all of your contact details in the show notes, uh, a link to your website, a link to your social media, so people can follow you and learn more about creating communities, managing HMOs and, uh, you know, changing the old school traditional experience into an actual customer tenant experience that they remember, you remember, and has a positive impact on your bottom line. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn and YouTube for more great content.